Amen. Amen. I, I will say off the top, uh, I am very encouraged by today. Today has been or will be a full day. Uh, had the opportunity to sit in on a membership interview. Had the opportunity to participate in a baptism. And then I get to spend a little time with some of the ministry leaders today. And so I am very, very encouraged. And in light of all of that, I am also excited uh, to preach and begin this new series. Uh, we'll speak to it in a second. But for those of you all who may be traveling, who, not, who may been, have been in and out, um, we have just finished up a series that had to do uh, with what I envision or what has been my philosophy of ministry. We have looked over these past five Sundays at various portions of Scripture that have uh, influenced me, and these are things that I would like to also carry over into this new season. So just by way of reminder, for one, we talked about being made more like Christ. Number two, we talked about the importance of loving God and neighbor, not one or the other, but both. The third sermon, we talked about FCF being a place where sinners are welcomed and also transformed. Our fourth message in that series, we talked about a faith that is acceptable before God, specifically not only having a proper profession, of faith, but also caring for those who are afflicted amongst us. And then last week, we talked about how our salvation affects creation, which happens to be groaning. So those are some of the things that will be further played out in terms of our ministry paradigm. But today, we now shift to a new series. And what we will be doing with this series is revisiting some of the basics of our faith visiting some of the basics of our faith. And we will look at 1 John over the next few Sundays, and it is my prayer that the Holy Spirit will indeed feed us and bless us through uh, this series. So that being said, I'll invite you to rise. Our passage of Scripture this morning comes from 1 John. We'll look at verses... 1 through 4. 1 John verses 1 through 4. If you're visiting, I will read this portion of Scripture you're hearing, and then I will say a short prayer, and then you can take your seats afterward. The Word of the Lord reads as follows. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched, with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and we testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was uh, with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. 
Father, we thank you for this opportunity to now look into your word. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would make it clear uh, what it is you would have us to know from it. Thank you again for this opportunity, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> My title for this particular message is simply Making Christ Our Priority. Making Christ Our Priority. Now, saying that, I will ask this question. I'm asking it of myself, and of course, I will ask it of you. What or whom are those things or persons that are priorities for you? And we need not be super spiritual, or we need not even think too hard about this. What are the things, who are the people that are priorities for you? These things can be good. These things can be bad. We all have things and persons that we will consider priorities. And again, I'm not here to necessarily say what you're thinking about is good or bad, but I would ask, where does Christ fit within your list of priorities, within our list of priorities? That is what I want to somewhat fo well, focus upon as a whole, but we'll deal with some of the specifics uh, of this passage uh, even now. So just a little bit of context, considering uh, we are just now uh, jumping into this letter. Uh, most, uh, uh, or uh, tradition, uh, most commentators of old will consider the author of this letter to be that uh, person who was the apostle, Apostle John. The Apostle John and someone who was in part of Jesus's inner circle. He was very, very close to Jesus, and he had a great responsibility, obviously, to go out and to make Christ known. The folks that he happens to be writing to, uh, most will believe that this is primarily a Gentile audience, and so these will be folks to whom these basics uh, would be very enlightening. And why he is writing this letter is for the most part, to address some false teachings that had started to creep into the church. By the time this letter was written, the Lord Jesus had gone to be with the Father uh, roughly 50 to 60 years or so, depending on who you trust. Uh, that's how long it took between Christ's ascension and this letter being written. And in between that time, there were a lot of different views starting to spring up about who Jesus was, what Jesus was about, and what that meant for those who would follow Jesus. And so it didn't take much time at all for a lot of wild things to creep into the church. And the Apostle John recognizes that a false or incorrect belief will have dire consequences as it relates to our actions. 
For example, I, if I have an improper view of others who are of different ethnicity or different cultures, if I have a proper uh, understanding or, again, a bad view of such folks, that will affect how I treat them. I, as a male, if I do not have a proper or respectful understanding of females, that will affect how I treat a female and vice versa. And it's the same thing the apostle is aware of. If you, if the church does not have a proper understanding or a correct view of Jesus, it will affect how folks go out and live in light of their view of Jesus. And you will see in other sermons how these incorrect views cause people to interact as it relates to sin and loving others and things of that nature. So again, the apostle is trying to correct some views that had crept into the church. Now, that being said, the first thing that I want us to consider specifically as a point is simply the title of the sermon, Making Christ the Priority. If you look at this letter, this is not a typical letter, uh, whereas you have a greeting and you have a, hey, how you doing? Let's set the stage. Let's get to know one another and let me introduce who I am. And then from there, we'll get to business. John comes right out of the gate talking about Jesus. In other words, he starts off declaring, if you will, hey, what I am writing to you about is the Lord Jesus. He is my main priority. He is what this is all about. And by the way, this is not peculiar to John. This was the responsibility of all of those who went out to proclaim the name of Jesus. So again, he comes right out of the gate and he declares his purpose for this letter, and it ultimately has to do with having a correct view of Jesus. Now, that being said, John is not presenting an exhaustive view of Christ. He is dealing with a specific uh, situation that arose in that church in his time. There were some who were going around and saying, you know what? Jesus was really just a spirit. He didn't have flesh. Because according to those folks, flesh is sinful. Your body, to have a body is, is a sinful thing, and it's what causes you to sin. And of course, Jesus is sinless. And so Jesus can't have a body if he is sinless. And this is a, a portion of what had begun to creep into the church that John is addressing. And that's why he comes out and he says in verses 1 and following, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and we testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest 
to us. John is, in essence, saying, look, I am no uh, hearsay type of person. What I am speaking about, who it is that I am speaking about, I know full well. Others, perhaps, were hearing secondhand, thirdhand about who Jesus was and what Jesus was about. But John is saying, look, I was actually with Jesus. I ate with Jesus. I drank with Jesus. I interacted with Jesus. And I know who this Jesus is. And so again, John is coming out of the gate and he is establishing, I know what I'm talking about as it relates to the person of Jesus Christ. And so again, Christ and a correct view of Christ is John's priority. And I can stand up here and I could talk a little bit about us having a correct view of Christ. And of course we should. Amen? But I also want to extend that thought. And as Christ is the priority of John's letter, again, the question remains, is Christ a priority for us as a church, as family? And how Christ is made a priority, we can discuss a variety of ways, but the question becomes, the things that you are doing, are they done for his glory? The things that you are engaged in, are they done as a result of Christ uh, calling us to do such? These are just a handful of ways in which he can become a priority for us, but nonetheless, the Lord Jesus, as he is a priority for John, as he is a priority for Peter, or whoever else we may read from in the scriptures, so too Christ must be a priority for us. Amen? The second thing it appears as though John is referencing is this idea of life. Of life. For example, in the first verse, to read it again, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life. John is trying to communicate in so few words, but you'll actually see it in some of the rest, uh, other portions of the letter, that true life is found in Jesus. I want you to think about it like this. Perhaps you've heard the phrase, uh, living the life or living my best life. And depending on who you ask, they'll give you uh, what that looks like. You know, for some, uh, you know, they're eating great food, uh, maybe they're in the mountains enjoying nature, or maybe they're on the beach, or maybe their kids have now left the house, uh, maybe they're on vacation, uh, whatever it may be, you, you, you know folks who, who feel like, man, I am living life. And again, perhaps those things could be living the life in some form or fashion. But John wants his audience to know, as he wants us to know, that true life is found 
in the Savior. His audience, they would have been searching for meaning. They would have been searching for what was life about. Is life freedom from from pain? Is life about enjoying the delicacies of, of, of earth? They would have been asking these questions and wondering what it meant. And John, again, as would be the case with other apostles, they point or they answer such questions by pointing folks to Jesus. What is life about? What does it mean to live uh, life and and have life? And this is not to suggest to uh, life in Christ means freedom from pain or freedom from hurt, or anything of that nature. But for John, life in Christ, as again, you'll see in other sermons, has to do with grace, has to do with finding mercy, has to do with finding true and abiding joy. And as a matter of fact, this is a life that is not temporal, but eternal. You can only be on vacation for so long. You can only eat so much good food before you're like, Lord, have mercy, I can't eat anymore. (laughs) Perhaps your children are gone for a good while and you're happy, but then you start wondering when they're going to come back and visit or something. I don't know, know, some people might be like that. But the good life that the world has to offer is a life that can only last for so long. But the life that we find in Christ is that which is eternal, that which will never fade, that which will never grow old. And this is what John wants his audience to know. Not only did John know Christ, see Christ, touch Christ, not only is Christ a priority for John, but he wants the people to know if you want to experience life to the fullest, you will find it in this word made flesh. And brothers and sisters, I want us to make sure that we as a church praise God for all of the the other wonderful blessings he may provide. Whatever that may be, great programs, great relationships uh, with various people and, and such. We should praise God and thank him for that. But let us also remember, let us also be aware of the fact that we are, if we're seeking life, if we want it abundantly, if we want to know what true life is all about, let us remember that it will be found in the Lord Jesus. So be careful of looking elsewhere and instead look to the Lord Jesus. Amen? The next thing I want you to consider from this portion. So, so far, Christ is the priority uh, of John and of his message. Number two, John is communicating to the people that true life is found in Christ. The third thing is John's desire for fellowship. For example, he writes in verse number three, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. 
John is about sharing the blessings of what he himself has experienced. What I mean by that is he has come to know Jesus. He has come to know the fellowship of the Lord, and he knows how great and awesome that is. And he wants that to not only be for himself, but for all of those that God has put in his presence. And that should be the case for us as well. Yes, we should be concerned about our, our souls and our sanctification, and we should be reading for our own edification and praying for ourselves, but we should also want to give those blessings to others and to fellowship with them in light of those blessings. Some of us, you know, we, 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 we hoard what it is the Lord gives to us. We treat it, I, I guess I'm speaking to myself a little bit, you know, sometimes I'll have some good food and hear my kids come. They smell it and can I have some, can I have some? And it's delicious, but I don't want to share. <laughs> I'm like, didn't you just eat three, four hours ago or something like that? <laughs> some of you caught that. But, but it's something that is making me feel good, that food. And here's folks who want some, and I am like, this is just for me. And sometimes I do share. Other times I don't share. But, but when it comes to the, the, the delicacies that God has blessed us with in Christ, these are things we should be extending to others. God loves us. That love should be shared with others. God has given us grace and mercy. That grace and mercy should be shared with others. God has forgiven us for our sins. That should be shared. We should be forgiving others as well. God has blessed us with resources. We know that these things he's given to us has come from his hand. These things should be shared with others. And when the Apostle John is talking about the idea of fellowship, he has in mind all of the wonderful things that God has done for him in Christ and how that is to be relayed and shared with others. We are in a specific community. Are we sharing with this community what it is God has given to us. Fellowship is very, very important. And as I say that, he is very careful about identifying his fellowship not only with the Father, but with Jesus. In other words, the idea of divinity, the idea of a God or gods, would not have been foreign to many of the people that John was talking to. But what John does that is different is he puts Christ in the midst. In other words, if you want to know about the one true God, you cannot know or fellowship with him outside of the Lord Jesus. This is, this, this is uh, what Christ has come for, to make known the Father. And the apostles are going about and they are telling folks, yes, you talk about God, you say 
you know God? Well, do you know his son? And if you do not know his son, how do you truly know God? And so John is very intentional about equating fellowship being with one another and with God and then, of course, with Christ. Now, the last part of this in verse number four, he says, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. That our joy may be complete. John, he seems to have a heart for the people. What I mean by that is he's not just interested in communicating some form of truth or some doctrine or things of that nature, but he takes joy not only in communicating these things, but seeing the people come to have fellowship in Christ. Are we, as a church, are we excited? Are we grateful when we see folks walking in Jesus? Or are we just out to preach, out to proclaim, out to communicate certain teachings, and then the people do what they do with it, and we just move on? Do we actually celebrate when people are coming to know Christ, when people are striving to walk in the Lord? We cannot take these things for granted. We cannot take these things lightly. I have been convicted of such myself. My prior experience in ministry, and I'm not suggesting this should be the case here. This is a larger context. But we would often sing and celebrate birthdays even in the midst of the service itself. And part of the reason we were doing this when I first began pastoring in my former pastorate, I was doing an unusual number of funerals, specifically for young men. And not only that, there would be opportunities where we would hear praise reports from young black men who were giving God praise for being alive. And these guys were only 17, 18, 22. So we said, you know what? This is something we cannot take for granted. If these folks are celebrating the fact that they are alive, even at such a young age, we should take joy in that as well. And we express that joy by way of singing happy birthday. Well, the same thing when it comes to brothers and sisters in our midst. John, again, he takes joy. He finds his joy in the people experiencing God in some form or fashion. In this particular context, he wants the people to be in fellowship, not only with him and with one another, but with And may we find joy in baptism. May we find joy when people are willing to confess their sins. May we find joy when someone is able to come and give praise because they are, are having some sort of victory over some particular sin. 
Again, I confess to you, I, the way I have operated, and I think I have gotten better, but I would, I would look at whatever problems we had going around in the community, in the church, and I would focus so much mental energy and attention on those things. They need to be fixed. We need to be praying for them. We need to do X, Y, and Z. But then there will be good things happening. And my joy would be but for a minute over that. Someone is walking in the Lord. Someone has come to know the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank God. I'm joyful for that. Okay, what is the next problem to be taken care of? (laughs) And the Lord has been convicting me and working with me over the years. And again, I think I've gotten a little bit better. But I want to make sure that in light of all of the issues that may be going on in the church, that be going on in the community, in the city, in the world, that we are not neglecting to express and to have joy when we see movements of the Lord, even in our midst. And we will see those things. Now, as I close, why is it that we should be making Christ a priority? Simply put, it's because he's made us a priority. We are not making Christ a priority simply because Jesus stands on the throne and says, your responsibility to me is to make me a priority. Now go take care of business. We are to make Christ a priority again because he has made us a priority. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Christ loves us. He cares for us. And not only did he complete his work upon the cross, he lives to make intercession for us. He is coming back to fully redeem us. We are his priority. In our mess, in our mistakes, in our foolishness, He still makes us his priority. And he shows us that with constant grace, constant mercy, everlasting love. And if you don't believe that, just look at what he did on the cross. What he did on the cross should be enough to say to us, we are his priority. And so, brothers and sisters, again, I don't want to give you this new task, this new thing that in reality is not a new thing, I would venture to say. Make Christ your priority. Go out and whatever you do, make sure Christ is at the forefront. We'll do that, but do it not because it's a task or it's a burden. Do it because it's a result of us being made a priority. And brothers and sisters, once we recognize that we are the priority of Christ, I think it makes it somewhat a little easier to make him our priority. So let us keep that in mind. Father, we thank you so much as we jump into John's letter. And Father, we are so grateful for a Savior that has come to this earth 
a Savior that has put on flesh in order to identify with us. We thank you that he has come to make us his priority. And Father, we pray indeed that your Son, our Savior, will be the priority not only of us as individuals, but of us as a church, as a whole. For Lord, you are indeed worthy. You are great and you are awesome. And Father, we thank you so much for the fact that you have called us your children. Thank you for the work of Christ upon the cross. Thank you for the blood that was shed. And we thank you as well for the fact that you raised him from the grave so that these things that you promise us can be true. Thank you again for Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.